0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we catch you up on the biggest local and state stories that you might have missed. Stories like these. For the first time in 30 years, Chicago voters might have a say in what the city's ward map will look like. That is, if members of city council can't agree on a version by spring. All bets are in. The state's gaming commission chose which developers will be allowed to build new suburban casinos and where. This comes nearly two and a half years after the state's gambling expansion
0: law passed. Jussie Smollett is guilty. That's what a jury decided on Thursday, agreeing that the former Empire star is guilty on five of the six counts of disorderly conduct for which he was charged. Jussie faces up to three years in prison.
1: With us for those stories and more, Don Rhodes, senior editor at Block Club Chicago, and Mike Lowe, reporter for WGN-TV News. We'll hear from Don in a moment, but Mike, let's start with you. Actor Jussie Smollett was found guilty of five of six charges that he staged and made a false report of a hate crime against himself. Now, you've been covering the case, and we're in the courtroom yesterday, so set the scene for us.
0: Well, first, all eyes were on Chelsea Smollett himself when the verdict was read, and he was pretty stoic. He stared right at the jury box, emotionless, as they read, count one guilty, count two guilty, count three guilty, and so on. And then the sixth count, he was found not guilty. But inside the courtroom, you had... I want to say it was probably 90 percent reporters and uh, representatives of media organizations. And then in the first row, Smollett's family, uh, his mother was there, his brothers were there, and then some friends and supporters as well. But for the most part, that courtroom was packed with members of the press.
1: What do you think it was that ultimately convinced the jurors of his guilt?
0: You know, sitting through the nearly seven days of the trial Special Prosecutor Dan Webb and his co-counsel in this, uh, Sam Mendenhall, really laid out a methodical case. They presented the evidence, thousands of hours of investigation from nearly two dozen Chicago police officers going through frame by frame of video text messages. That While well, they didn't say, hey, let's conspire to do this, there was never an explicit uh, text like that. There was enough that pointed to this could be the only conclusion you could draw so the defense was trying to say hey chelsea smollett was the real victim of a real crime and it just did i think convince the jury uh, with the arguments they were making that the osindiro brothers uh, the two gentlemen who prosecutors claimed Jussie Smollett enlisted to help carry out the hoax attack. The defense had said that they were homophobic and they tried to basically carry out this attack because they didn't like Jussie Smollett or they hated him because of his sexuality, but then also presented evidence that they attended bathhouses with Jussie Smollett in Boys Town and so forth. So their defense was kind of scrambled, kind of confusing, whereas the prosecution laid out kind of minute by minute. Mm. This is what happened that night. The evidence spoke for itself.
1: Um, make it clear for us, Mike, what sort of sentence might Smollett receive here?
0: Well, it, experts that we've talked to say that because Jesse Smollett has no criminal background, he's much more likely to get a sentence of community service, maybe have to pay a fine and have some sort of probation. However, he does face up to three years in prison. That is highly unlikely that that will happen And his defense team says that they will appeal this decision. It's not clear on what grounds they will challenge this decision, but uh, right now the court has set January 27th uh, as a date for both sides to meet over zoom and discuss post-trial motions and potential dates for sentencing. Um, But at this point, it doesn't look like he will do any prison time, but his legal troubles are not over by any stretch because the city of Chicago is also suing Jussie Smollett to try and recoup mm-hmm. the $300,000 that was spent uh, during this investigation. As we referenced before, some two dozen officers spent thousands and thousands of hours. I mean, they went door to door looking for ring doorbell video, uh, you know, security video surveillance from any type of building. And they were able to piece together pretty much all. All but like two minutes of that night, the attack itself was Mm -hmm. not captured on videotape, but uh, they they pretty much had everything else. Um, So a lot of effort into that, and Jesse Smollett could find himself on the hook for about three hundred thousand dollars. And prosecutors believe that the conviction, the guilty on five counts, only helps those other lawsuits.
1: Let's turn to City Council and the struggles that continue over redrawing the ward boundaries. Where are we at this point, Don?
2: Yeah, so we're at the beginning of what could be a really long process. So just this week, after both versions of the map the city council committee map and then the competing latino caucus map were put forward Um, now they're coming back to the table trying to work out some of their differences and because they did not take a vote on the map earlier this month um, there is the possibility of a costly referendum where this could be put to voters in uh, six or seven months so they still have some time to work out their differences and to try to put forward one version of the map that will get the supermajority of city council backing. But it could take some time.
1: Uh, Don Block Club's been doing a really great job reporting on, on how the redrawn ward map could affect different neighborhoods. So I want to start with uh, the area that's supposed to be home to the mega development Lincoln Yards. That's, of course, along the north branch of the Chicago River that's between Bucktown and Lincoln Park.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for that. So right now, these two competing maps, the ward map that was introduced through City Council, would draw Lincoln Yards out of Alderman Brian Hopkins' ward. And he's been a longtime backer of the Megan development. He's none too thrilled about that, that it would be moved into the 32nd ward. And he's definitely said that he's going to fight to keep Lincoln Yards in his ward. And that's part of the reason he has thrown his support behind the Latino caucus map that would keep that in the second ward. But that's a major development of of the potential of Lincoln Yards switching wards.
1: What about the 45th ward on the northwest side? That's Alderman Jim Gardner's ward. He got in trouble it for is. for leaked texts where he used foul language. You'll remember to, to refer yeah. to constituents who he also uh, wanted to withhold services from.
2: Yeah, he's been under fire for several months now, in part because of the reporting of uh, Ariel Perella Aureli. and um, because of that, we've already have a challenger who has you know thrown her hat to the race, mm-hmm. Megan Matthias, and she lives in Old Irving Park, and the. The city council version of the map would draw her home out of the 45th Ward. So that does not necessarily mean that she cannot run against him. We've, you know, checked state law and there is some um, wiggle room there where she could still run for 45th ward alderperson, person, but it would mean eventually that she would need to move. So there is a little bit of a um, hiccup there if she wants to continue her bid.
1: And, on residents of Ravenswood Manor, they seem pretty unhappy with the proposed maps, too. What's going on in that north side neighborhood?
2: Yeah, and that's a small north side neighborhood. And um, so the version of the map that was introduced through the city council committee has their neighborhood basically split into three parts that would include um, all uh, that would include three different wards and so their concern is that because it's such a small you know community that now they're being lumped into different territories that include much larger communities like lincoln square north center and things like that and they would get overlooked if that were to go forward Uh, uh, by contrast the Latino Caucus map mostly keeps their neighborhood intact, and so neither one of these is preferable (laughs) at this point, but that's another little complication.
1: Mike, the Illinois Gaming Board was uh, busy this week, approving two new casinos in North Suburban Waukegan and South Suburban Hazel Crest. Can you give us the details there?
0: Sure. Uh, This dates back to the 2019 State law that will essentially allow gaming to expand. Six new casinos are supposed to be built, one of which will be in Chicago. But this week, the gaming board, the state regulators who look into the proposals and the bids and those types of things gave the okay to a casino on the border of Homewood and East Hazelcrest in the south suburbs. That bid went to a company called Wind Creek, uh, Wind Creek Hospitality, and they're planning to build a 64,000-square-foot casino near the interstate, uh, Interstate 80 and Halstead Street, costs some $300 million. It'll have a 21-story hotel and they say it'll offer views of the skyline.
1: <laughs> of course and, it will. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Would <laughs> you expect anything less?
0: <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, the one in Waukegan went to a company called Full House. And there's kind of an interesting backstory with that, too, as well, because people thought maybe Rivers Casino would submit a bid, but they pulled their bid. Rivers Casino is focusing its efforts on a potential location in Chicago now. Uh, So we have the two developers now for these uh, suburban casinos, and now kind of all eyes are are shifting toward what will happen in Chicago.
1: While gambling expanded to those two suburbs, Mike, uh, the sports betting ordinance that was backed by the mayor, that seems to have stalled in in city council. Don, can you fill us in on what's going on?
2: Sure. There's an ordinance pending that would allow sports betting at the city's five major uh, stadiums, Wrigley Field, United Center, Guaranteed Ray, Soldier Field, and Wintrust. And that was introduced over the summer. And um, in the, on the heels of that, the owners of the Chicago Cubs have announced a partnership that would build a two-story sports book at Wrigley Field. But that obviously depends on the ordinance passing. That's stalled for several months, and in part because uh, older people aren't agreeing on what the taxes should be on gambling revenue. So at a joint committee meeting this week, a lot of people, even including uh, backers of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, have questioned that tax because they're not really agreeing on that. The meeting has been postponed and it, no vote's been taken on that ordinance yet.
1: Well, the Tribune has a story out this morning revealing more of Lori Lightfoot's text messages where Mm -hmm. she calls one official a, quote, dumb, dumb person of color and Mm -hmm. calls one alderman a, quote, jackass in a text to another. Mm -hmm. Don, at this Mm -hmm. point, should the mayor be surprised that she doesn't have strong allies on city council when, when she's dealing with aldermen in this way?
2: And yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that even before uh, Greg Pratt's story at the Tribune, uh, you know, looking at these text messages and giving us more insight into the way Mayor Lori Lightfoot talks about uh, city council colleagues behind the scenes, we've already had quite a bit of insight into the way that she talks to them and about them publicly. So we've already had some hints about her confrontational style. And so, and Greg definitely demonstrates that in the story. So whether or not these two things are cause and effect, you know, that's up for anybody to say. I'm not really the best person to answer that, but certainly I can't think that it helps. And lots of older people were on Twitter responding to that and responding to some of the comments that she made Mm -hmm. through these texts to talk about, you know, their effectiveness and talk about some of the things that they've accomplished as older people during their tenure. So it definitely can't help.
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. Let's uh, move over to the newly created majority Latino third congressional district. There's a new challenger in the race for that House seat. Can you get us up to speed, Mike?
0: Sure. Uh, State Representative Delia Ramirez has kind of thrown her hat in the ring for this new district, uh, the third district. Um, she will be taking on City Councilman Gilbert Viegas for what Democrats explicitly wanted to uh, carve out as another seat for the Latinx community. So Ramirez, by way of background, you know, was an assistant majority leader in the Illinois House. She's from Chicago, and she's got the backing of a number of kind of pretty boldface, you know, liberal leaders, um, including Chuy Garcia and Daniel Biss in Evanston have endorsed her candidacy. So this sets up to be a, a pretty good race in this kind of new, newly created district, the third district.
1: Over on the city's south side, Don, your team at Block Club had a story about the Christmas tree in Washington Park being vandalized. What are the details? Yeah,
2: so this is an unfortunate one because uh, that Christmas tree that's been set up on Garfield Boulevard—that's a relatively new tradition from the Washington Park Chamber of Commerce—and it was born out of the idea that you know South Siders deserve to have nice christmas decorations in their area and not having to go downtown to like the mag mile and different areas like that to see nice christmas lights and and christmas decorations and every year that that tree has been put up somebody has vandalized it someone ran it over with their car one year uh last year it was vandalized twice including being set on fire and then this year on saturday there was a big tree lighting ceremony and then within hours Someone set it on fire again, destroying it. Wow.
1: That's Don Rhodes from Block Club Chicago and Mike Lowe of WGN TV News. And don't go away, there's plenty more where that came from, including these stories.
0: City leaders urging vaccinations and boosters after the first confirmed case of the Omicron variant arrived in Chicago.
1: And the reason that these variants are able to develop and take hold is because we still have way too many people unvaccinated across the world, but that still is an issue here in Chicago. Chicago is going to be without one of their stars for the foreseeable future as DeMar DeRozan has entered the NBA's COVID health and safety protocols. Alfonso Joyner,
0: a man with several previous convictions, tonight is charged with first-degree murder. He's accused in a brazen attack on a man in Chinatown.
1: So let's get to it. While Chicago is surging in COVID cases, Illinois and Indiana now have some of the worst COVID hospitalization rates in the country. Mike, this is something I know you've been covering, right?
0: That's exactly right. And earlier in the week, Dr. Allison Arwadi, the commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health, was holding a kind of Facebook Q&A with the public talking about the surge in COVID cases in Chicago. And if that was just hours before the Omicron variant was detected. And actually that night, I spoke with one of the doctors, Dr. Mary Hayden, at uh, Rush University Medical Center, who was on a team at the Regional Innovative Public Health Lab that discovered this first case of the variant in Chicago. And everybody wants to know, is this more dangerous? Does it spread more easily? And those questions at this point are not really able to be answered by the experts. Uh, they all essentially say they need more time to study this. But the early indications are that because of the mutations in this variant, it's able to spread more easily Mm -hmm. Um, and that's of high concern to doctors and also this first case detected echoes something that came out of a report from South Africa the first country where the Omicron variant was discovered the first case in Chicago was a breakthrough case a person who was uh, vaccinated with two doses and then a booster so you may be vulnerable to the Omicron variant even if you have been vaccinated so those are things that public health experts are watching. But even before that, as I mentioned, Dr. Arwadi was warning that we are seeing a surge in cases from maybe a second wave of the Delta variant. Right. And we're seeing it worse in what I kind of think of as the traditional Big Ten, the Midwest, places like Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. So certainly we're not out of the woods by any means. And everybody in the public health sphere are recommending from the governor on down, wash your hands, wear your mask, and continue to get tested if you think you're sick.
1: Well, already raised the prospect of new citywide vaccine requirements, didn't she?
0: She did. Uh, That that was a question that I I believe came in from a member of the public, and it was actually talking about, will you require proof of vaccination to enter these quasi-public spaces like theaters, restaurants, bars, gyms, and so forth. And she said that they're taking that under consideration now. Those kinds of things are happening in New York Mm -hmm. um, and other major cities. We did speak with uh, Roger Romanelli of the Fulton Market District about what that kind of requirement would mean for restaurants. And uh, he was very adamant that Uh, The issue is not checking for vaccinations. It's getting vaccines to the people who still haven't gotten them. And from the restaurant perspective, they say this should be something that is either funded or the, the government should be doing. But restaurant owners shouldn't be put upon to be the vaccine police Of course, some restaurants are doing it of their own volition, but at this point, they don't want another mandate because they think the cudgel has been taken to restaurants throughout the entire pandemic.
1: I don't know about you. I'm getting more and more concerned. Um, How worried are you, Don, about the COVID search? I'm curious. Are you eating out? Are you traveling? Or maybe just laying low?
2: (laughs) I'm laying low. I mean, I'm fortunate in that, you know, I live uh, alone, so I can't really mitigate my exposure to um you know to covid but i did just get my booster shot this week i'm not taking any chances (laughs) and i do plan to travel home for the holidays but yeah i mean i'm still taking the same precautions that mike was talking about i'm still wearing a mask everywhere and i'm grateful that people in my neighborhood are doing the same but you know it's not quite ready to resume life as normal just yet it's just it's not it's even going to Thanksgiving, we all made sure to take negative COVID tests beforehand and, you know, made sure everyone was vaccinated. Yeah, you know, it's still important to be careful, for sure.
1: Mike, you talked with the doctor at Rush who discovered that first case of Omicron this week in, in Chicago. What did Dr. Mary Hayden say? Uh, and what do we know about the infected person?
0: Well, they didn't release much information other than that this was a person who is a Chicago resident. Uh, This person had contact with an out-of-state visitor who was known to carry the Omicron variant, and this person was fully vaccinated with a booster, and the symptoms did not require hospitalization. So the infection broke through but didn't make this person very sick or at least not sick enough to go to the hospital. So that's a good sign that there is some level of protection, and Pfizer this week said that, They believe their vaccines provide a good level of protection against this new variant. There are some, I guess, heartening aspects of this story that the person is not really ill, that they're on the mend right now. Uh, We don't know much else about this patient. We know it's now in the city, at least public health officials are concerned that it spreads more rapidly than even the Delta variant. So we're likely to see more people and once they get more data, we'll know more.
1: Well, we've got eyes on New York City, too. They announced this week that all private sector employees will need to get vaccinated. What did our mayor say about that, Mike?
0: She said, quote, we will not see that here in the city of Chicago. So she was very strong on saying that that was not something that Chicago would adopt. And uh, when she spoke about it to reporters this week, she mentioned that New York Mayor Bill de Blasio's idea here may not withstand legal challenges. It's essentially a preemptive strike in New York to try and deal with a forthcoming wave, especially with the Omicron variant out there. Mm-hmm. But we're not likely to see any of those kinds of mandates on a private sector here in Chicago, especially if you're going to go by the words of the very strong words of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And we know already the struggle that has ensued, at least with the Chicago Police Department, when mandates were were put in place.
1: There were plenty of conversations about that here on the Weekly News Recap, for sure. (laughs) Um, You know, COVID's making sports headlines, too. I know you're not a sports reporter, Mike, but The Bulls, you must have heard of this. Uh, Chicago Bulls, they now have five players that have tested positive in the last nine days. So that makes uh, nearly a third of the team now in mandatory isolation. Any thoughts on how bad this could be for the team?
0: Well, uh, number one, the Bulls are one of the best stories of the winter. It's like fun to be a Bulls fan again, especially with the Bears not doing so well. This is true. Even though I'm pulling for them in Green Bay this Sunday night. But the Bulls, uh, before the season started were one of the teams in the NBA that announced they were 100% vaccinated. And so, you know, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, and it just goes to show you that if you're in an enclosed arena, if you're having physical contact and breathing heavily as you're running up and down the court, that the infection can spread. And it's Sad as a fan from a basketball standpoint to have DeMar DeRozan, who's having a, an MVP caliber season. I believe he's the leading scorer in the fourth quarter in the entire NBA. Just a fantastic player. He's out in the COVID protocol. Uh, and then you've got some role players, Javante Green, Matt Thomas, and Garrett Jones, as you mentioned, is now the fifth player right. for the Bulls. And that's tough to see, especially because the Bulls are so fun and they're they're doing so well. Let's hope none of the players get sick. And because, as the Bulls said, they're all vaccinated, hopefully they're not getting any terrible symptoms. Maybe they can get back on the court soon and and keep winning some games. And, And they really are a fun team to watch.
1: They really are. You sure you're not a sports reporter, Mike? (laughs) That was a little too good, (laughs) a little too smooth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got one last COVID story for you uh, before we uh, bring poor Don back into the (laughs) the conversation here. Um, State Representative Jonathan Carroll from suburban Northbrook has dropped his proposal to make the unvaccinated pay for their health care expenses. Fill us in on that.
0: Yeah, Artemon Bradley, uh, our political reporter here at WGN, spoke with Representative Carroll this week. And the initial proposal, I think, was one of those kind of let's get people talking. We know this will never become law, but let's put this out there. His idea was to say, let's have a state law that says if you decide not to get the vaccine for COVID-19 and then contract COVID-19, insurance will not pay for your care. This immediately ran into all kinds of problems because you would have to change federal law. The Affordable Care Act, commonly known as Obamacare, uh, prohibits insurers from from denying coverage to somebody with a a preexisting condition. Mm -hmm. So all of those things would have to be changed. The, The bill was going nowhere from the start. He intended it, I believe, to just be a conversation starter to say, hey, we have a collective responsibility to each other to get vaccinated. Think about what you're doing and the strain you're putting on the healthcare system if you don't get vaccinated. But what that turned into is, as everything else does these days, a big political fight. And so people viewed this as the government trying to mandate vaccines again. And he actually received threats threats to his family, threats to his synagogue characterize them as violent threats and of course that brought about the condemnation from people of all parties saying that nobody deserves to have their family threatened over a public policy stance but still is an indication of just how volatile the issue of vaccination still is as a political talking point.
1: Don let's jump into some of these crime headlines uh, from this week including that incident in Chinatown residents were shaken by a brazen murder that happened on the same block as an elementary school while kids were heading out to recess.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is an awful, awful story that we covered, and the Sun-Times really did a great job covering this as well. 71-year-old man, and I terribly apologize if I mispronounce his name, Wum Sing Si, his family told uh, the Sun-Times that he was walking to get a paper and he was very callously shot to death uh, right next to the elementary school where I understand his daughter is a teacher as well so um, yeah it's a horrible horrible story the the If if there is a silver lining to this, um, one thing that Superintendent uh, David Brown said is that they were able to arrest the person that they think is responsible within an hour because so many people rallied and helped police to um, provide surveillance video to provide information about the license plate of the car. And so within an hour, they had the suspect in custody. Wow.
1: Well, um, there were shocking incidents as well of youth violence on Saturday night in the loop. Too. Mike, what happened there?
0: Well, uh, Saturday night in the loop, kind of near Millennium Park, actually, there was a group of nearly two dozen uh, or more young people that kind of assembled as, you know, what some people described as a mob and kind of went wild. Uh, there were 21 arrests, and then there was this viral video of people beating up a CTA bus driver. The bus driver was stomped and suffered from some bumps and bruises. But of course, you know there's certainly emotional trauma that comes with something like that, and it it raised all of the issues again of whose space is this, uh, what can be done about it. And today, actually, is a story I'll be covering later tonight on Channel Nine. Uh, Superintendent David Brown held a news conference and forcefully denounced this kind of uh, kind of wild youth mob violence uh, that we've seen pop up every once in a while and said this weekend we won't see a repeat of it it's hard to say that police can prevent it because unless they have solid intelligence from social media or other avenues it just kind of pops up and then you have to deal with it and of course anyone has a right to be out in public spaces as mayor lightfoot noted uh, when she was asked about Um the question is when does a group start becoming dangerous when assembled like that? And is a it's a really tough line to say, okay, we've got to break up. there's too many people here. There are hundreds of people here or uh, and then, of course, you know, you have the Mag mile businesses who say that this kind of thing has been a problem now for years, and they can't deal with you know theft and violence, especially because that's an economic engine where a large amount of tax revenue comes for the entire city. So there are all these different aspects in play. The Chicago police will be out in force tonight, according to David Brown. And he was kind of scolding of parents uh, today in his news conference saying, don't let this happen. You have the responsibility to make sure your teenagers are not getting into this kind of mischief.
1: Yeah, it caused some people to call for stricter enforcement of the city's curfew. Because kids under 17 are supposed to be at home or with an adult guardian after 10 p.m. on weeknights and 11 p.m. on Friday and Saturday nights. Listen, we're coming towards the end of our recap, so I want to make sure I get in the good news of the week. So I'm looking at you, Don. Block Club covered a uh, story of an all-night layover at O'Hare. Uh, this person, yeah. she could probably get the glass half full award for making the best <laughs> of a bad situation. What happened?
2: So yeah, she might be the only person who's had a really pot who could rock away from O'Hare with positive experience. But <laughs> she uh got caught at um in an all night uh layover at O'Hare, um heading back home to Baltimore and she ended up being uh, mostly alone um in O'Hare so she turned it into a really fun romp around and you know you, you know getting a better view of some of the artwork and the lighting and, and the architecture that a lot of us I think would ignore because we're too busy zooming through and trying to and, right. you know, make it through security and we're stressed out and everything and so she put it in a really fantastic twitter thread and so we talked to her about that and it just it does remind you like what a beautiful building it is you know we don't really think about so that a lot. True. and i actually have to go through i have to go through a in a couple of weeks so Same. i have to, it's just a good reminder to pay attention. I'm going to stop and you know, smell the roses a little bit. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, that's it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Don Rhodes of Block Club Chicago and Mike Lowe of WGN TV News. That's it for the weekly news recap. What we do know from this week is that we cannot take our foot off the brake when it comes to fighting COVID-19. And we will stay on top of every new variant and outbreak so that you can keep your loved ones safe. So make sure you hit the subscribe button for this podcast. Then take a few seconds to give us a rating and a review. Doing that helps people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Come back soon.